0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. 2024 is looking Like the year of interviews on the Irish Fire podcast. I've got some great interviews lined up with some returning guests as well as some new guests. And today we get the return of Andrew, who was last on the podcast way back in 2021, where he spoke about investment trusts. And today we wanted to hit something a little bit different, but something that is equally discussed often. On the limerick fi meetup group and that is what is a better investment property or stocks guys i am also aware that i do need to record an episode at some point to give a little bit of a personal update however i can give a very quick summary to say that all is going well and if you haven't already do subscribe to the irish fire podcast newsletter where i do send a monthly update usually around the fourth or fifth of the month just giving a quick update as well as a portfolio update. And as usual guys, when it comes to these investing topics, that the usual disclaimer to say that Andrew and I are not financial advisors and that we're simply giving our own opinion here on these topics. So as always, please do your own research and reach out to a financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Andrew, it is so good to have you back on the show.
1: Hi Mike, it's great to be back. (laughs) It's good. Uh, I suppose that we're getting to have this conversation. We, we've we talked about it so many times about the pros and cons of property investing versus stocks. We're both members of the Limerick FI group, and we have a WhatsApp group. And this is, I would easily say, discussed two or three times every year, the pros and cons of this, this sort of investing. So yeah, it's it's good to
0: to have a chat and maybe uh, see where we, we both stand on it. Excellent. Well, look, let's jump straight into it, Andrew. So let's start with property. So feel free, maybe if you want to give me the pros and cons from your side of property, and then I might chime in as well.
1: Yeah. So um the absolute ultimate pro of property is leverage. You can go to the bank, you can get 300,000 euro mortgage um, at two, three percent. Well, you could get it at that sort of percentage. No, maybe, maybe four or five percent or maybe even a bit more for a rental property. But and you can go and you can buy a property and in reality it will more or less start or very close to cash flowing straight away and on top of that you will start to accrue capital appreciation in the in the property itself and giving the scale the leverage involved you know you end up with a very large asset very quickly versus the stock equivalent no one leverages for stock because unless you're a, an expert uh, you have access to really good information it's it's just not advisable and it's a risky it's a risky stance, so no one really does it. So I think uh, leverage is the number one pro. Uh, the second the second pro would be its tax advantage in that 100% of the interest on the mortgage is tax deductible. So in reality, you're getting free free money and the interest is only a cash flow issue. So that, that's another advantage. The, all expenses are deductible, another tax advantage over stocks. The capital appreciation of the underlying asset itself, massive advantage. Uh, and, you know, ultimately someone else is paying down a debt for you, which <laughs> is is an advantage. So, um, But that, that they're the main advantages I see. What, what do you see? Is, is there anything that you think I missed?
0: Yeah, you know, I think one of the great things about property is that you can see it, you can touch it, and obviously you can insure it as well and protect it. So there's certainly a nice element of that in terms of at least providing that we don't have a 2008-like event where property values just sink out of the sky, that usually the property market is more stable than, say, stocks. So you've got an asset that you can see firsthand. You can insure it against accidents and loss. And you usually have something which in the long term rises pretty consistently year on year. But of course, we don't necessarily want to be looking at property through rose-tinted lenses. So do you want to go through some of the cons?
1: Yeah, so actually there's... It was, it was comical, but when I was thinking about this, when we said we'd had this conversation, I came up with a, a long list of cons. And, you know, they, uh, some of them maybe are risks rather than just pure disadvantages, but um, the RTB, absolute nightmare to deal with. I could give examples of where I've had to pay two and three times to register property because their, their, their software is so incompetent and inefficient. Now they've moved to annual payments. Uh, so you have to pay and register property every single year. Then in reality, the RTB, and I've had lots of friends who've had this experience, are in reality, they're anti-landlord. And when it comes to a dispute with a tenant, it's just a waste of time and money. The tenant is going to win every single time. It's just cheaper to pay the tenant. Go away with your tail between your legs and uh, learn from it. No redress for landlords when the property is damaged or when there's a massive rental loss. It's next to impossible to get a tenant out under Irish legislation. Tax. Now, this, this is a huge disadvantage, even though we said they're taxed advantaged on one hand, but they're also taxed disadvantaged on the other hand in that you're taxed on your gross income rather than your net. It's the only business that exists where you're, you're taxed on your gross. So you do, you don't get to treat the, the mortgage as a cost like you would in any other business. It's actually uh, the taxman considers it an income, even though it never appears in your pocket. So you're taxed on something you never get. It's ridiculous, really. So that that's a big pill, sort of bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people. Then the next item I had there was political risk and interference. I, I, it's one thing that really is a bit of a gripe for me as, as a landlord. You know, you get a lot of political interference. You get the rent pressure zones. They're just shoved onto on top. And if you're a good landlord and you've been keeping your rent low, and then all of a sudden, without warning, the government just lands on a rent pressure zone. And all you can do is increase your rent then by 2%. Effectively, you've completely devalued your asset because when you go to sell it in the future, if you sell to another landlord, they will look at the rent that they can get. And in reality, it'll probably be low because you were a good landlord, you were keeping it low. And now you're disadvantaged by the rent pressure zones. And then the other, and maybe the last point I have as a disadvantage is uh, the removal or the potential political risk and removal of the ability to sell your property. So if if there's a new government change and the next government come in, and if they're to stick along their lines of uh, what's in some of the more left wing parties, what's in their uh, their promises for the future, you know it might be impossible to sell your asset and, and liquidate it. So then all of a sudden, is your money becomes very illiquid You're hundred percent dependent on either the tenant to leave to sell your asset, or you know you're dependent on just purely the income. And you know so it's back to political risk. That that all has to be valued in, and uh, it can be hard to put a value on it uh, on that level of risk sometimes. But uh, yeah, what what do you see anything on that side?
0: Yeah, uh, quite a lot actually. Maybe I'm a little bit of a rental cynic at times, but uh, look, firstly, obviously, property is definitely anything but passive, and things go wrong. So you're going to need to be in a position where you're going to have to have access to good tradespeople or be pretty good at DIY. But also, there's a kind of lifestyle risk as well because. You know you might be Christmas Eve and suddenly there's flood damage or a boiler goes and all these sort of things and you're kind of on call twenty four seven you know so you just never know when something's going to go wrong and I like to try and be a good landlord so if something does go wrong I do want to get it fixed as quickly as I can and I'm conscious of having a tenant that's upset so yeah the more I do it the more I think that nobody's really truly retiring with rental property because there's always an element of managing it and yes okay maybe you could get a property manager a really good property manager and to take a lot of that stress and time risk away from you. But either way, I've found, at least in my experience, that even with a property manager, it still often would come back to me. For your investment to work in property, you're effectively relying on a good tenant. And so there's always a risk that you're going to pick a bad tenant, or at least you might pick a good tenant that just gets unlucky and comes into certain issues. So there's lots of examples that I've had, maybe couples breaking up or somebody losing their job. So in many ways, their financials become your financials because... If they suddenly lose their income, then it's very likely that your rent is going to be at risk. Obviously, damage to the property—I know you alluded to that as well. So, damage by a tenant, by a neighbours, by a structural issues as well—that may not be covered by insurance. And even though I did mention earlier that you can insure property, there's always that risk that the insurance doesn't cover exactly what you had planned. And that certainly happened to myself with a property that I owned in Australia many years ago when flood damage came. I had insisted that the policy had flood damage, only to find out afterwards that it didn't and it was probably hidden somewhere in the fine print. There's also that risk of antisocial behavior, that might be your own tenants, or with neighbors, arguments happening, if you get a bad tenant in then neighbors are going to be upset at you for example, and there's not a huge amount that you can do necessarily as you alluded to before Andy, having to deal with the RTB and worse in some cases. Also you might buy in an up and coming area, or a good area, that for whatever reason, maybe a bad neighbor moves in or something like that and it can completely change the dynamic of the area so there's lots of risks there you know i think sometimes we tend to look at rentals through rose tinted glasses but it's certainly not always the case and definitely for myself managing four properties it certainly isn't easy at times
1: it's funny because if you were to write out all the pros and cons of a rental property you wouldn't touch it with a 50-foot barge pole
0: <laughs> yeah 100 and you know i think it's one of those things where the leverage obviously is such a huge advantage That even though we've just listed out a huge amount of cons we seem to be driven by that leverage even in my own case property has returned three times more than my stocks have and i've been investing in stocks for longer so that's where the power of leverage really comes in you know and certainly there's a feeling that with property you can feel that wealth you can feel it because you can physically see it whereas with stocks it's just a number on a screen A big part of the property push for us was because we have children and we wanted to have some sort of hedge against rising house prices, which to be honest, we haven't seen the full extent of that in Ireland as I thought we may have. Certainly, if you look at what's happened in New Zealand, say over the last 10 to 20 years, there's now a generation of Kiwis growing up that really have no chance of being able to buy housing and are probably going to be renters for the rest of their life, worse than what we perceive here in Ireland. So we certainly identified that risk and that was a big reason for us to make sure that we had at least three properties, either for A, our kids to live in one day or B, for a property that we could sell so that they could have a deposit for their own house. And I know with property, there's certain solutions around there. So you might want to buy a property close to, say, a university so that your kids can actually go there. And that might be a cheaper way for you than maybe paying rent while they're at college and things like that. So there's definitely certain opportunities to, I guess, A, help your kids, but also help yourself from that point of view.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know a family, actually, um, who have six kids. They bought an apartment in Dublin specifically because they worked it out that it was cheaper to buy it and because all their kids were going to more than lately end up in college there and it actually it panned out like that more or less all the kids have lived in that apartment so uh you know property as an investment to pass on to your kids or to deal with your kids is probably not a bad way of looking at it either
0: it's the easiest way to guarantee that they will leave the home one day andrew you know when you think <laughs> about it logically, because look we had tom on the previous episode that basically proved that generation z's best logic for I guess getting ahead financially is to live at home and then go straight from home to buying a property and skipping the whole rent part. But look, this is probably a topic that we could cover off in a whole other episode. So let's jump over to stocks then. Let's have a look at some of the pros of stock investing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, so I I suppose to, to put a bit of context on this, both of us do have stock investments and we are probably a little bit unusual in the in the limerick fi group in that we have a foot in boat camps where i have found people have <laughs> very entrenched views they're very much property they're very much stocks and it's like they're allergic to one or the other and uh so i suppose we we can maybe discuss this with boat hats on which is unusual for the group but so on the advantages on the pro side they're very liquid which gives you access to cash a lot of them, if you're into sort of dividend or income investing, there's a steady, um, and if it's done right, a rising, growing um, income from them. So that, that's another advantage. They're effectively, in reality, they're a hassle-free sort of way of investing. Now, I know they're not. It all depends on what you invest in. So, uh, you know, if you pick maybe one, two or three investment trusts, just decide you're going with that, that's it then they're much less hassle and they're, they're much more straightforward. Or if you decide to just go completely passive and go with an ETF and deal with all the hassle of team disposal, again, they're much more a hassle-free option. So on the pro side, yeah, so on the advantage side, like uh, like we've talked about, number one, they're liquid, and number two, they're, there's a good income stream. But on the, the disadvantages side, there's really no ability to leverage individual stocks are extremely risky. There is, I think, there is a risk around the platforms themselves to some degree, because in the past, historically, when you owned shares, your share certificate arrived in the door when you bought it from your broker. You had it in the shelf. You could give it to your kids. You, it was held intergenerationally. If you wanted to hold it, they were there for life. Now it's effectively with the Gero, they hold your shares in trust. You don't, you don't actually ever even have the ability to vote um you don't have a share certificate to prove you own it and interior the gero's on the share register not you as an owner of the company Um, now like the davies or interactive brokers they actually do register your name so you actually your shares are not held in trust with those and you still can vote and so on but again they're they're intangible so uh on the you know on the disadvantage side they're not like bricks and mortar Then if you go completely passive, deemed disposal is an accounting nightmare to deal with. It's also, it completely kills compounding. So every eight years, you just give away 41% of your profit and that's 41% that's not compounding. Whereas if it was in bricks and mortar, it would be compounding. And uh, fees. So if you go, if you want a hassle-free option, either with Investment trusts or with ETFs, you have to deal with fees. You have to pay someone to manage it for you in reality. And that, again, is eating, compounding. So that's roughly where I'm at under
0: the pros and cons. What do, what do you think? Yeah, do you know what? When you started, I was like, man, I should, I should have been in stocks more. And by the end, I thought, oh, maybe I'm about <laughs> right. Um- yeah, I mean, stocks, stocks can be super tax efficient because they can be done via a pension. And I know that property can as well. But property doesn't, in my opinion, property doesn't work as well through a pension because you have to have a trustee and there's a pretty big cost with that. But also you have to be at arm's length, meaning that you can't directly engage with the property. You have to get a property manager and follow certain rules. And in my opinion, as somebody who owns four investment properties, I just don't see how that's A, sustainable and B, viable. I believe there's also rules around having a cash that property in by the time that you hit pension age. So if you wanted to retire at a time where house prices weren't optimal, it wouldn't be as good. So for me, a pension and stocks goes hand in hand. And obviously by investing through a pension, we immediately gain at least a 40% discount when it comes to purchasing those stocks. So that's pretty good. However, the fees are certainly a big consideration and 1.x percent doesn't sound like a huge amount per year in fees. But given that we might be invested for as long as 40 to 60 years, it's a fairly serious time for it to be compounded. And we need to remember that just because we hit retirement age doesn't mean that our pension suddenly stops. We're still going to be paying those fees right up potentially until the time that we pass on. I'd also be a little bit worried about being 100% exposed to stocks. So let's take the example where... Say in my case, I need around €800,000 minimum to potentially be FI. So if I was 100% on stocks, that's a fairly juicy portfolio to be 100% on. And assuming some sort of correction, like we had recently, 2020, 2022, then that's as much as €400,000 that is not available to me. And that would be fairly scary. I'd somewhat struggle to sleep at night knowing that, whereas with property... It's definitely, we've seen it recently, there's a global market and stocks are obviously exposed to that. Whereas we have a domestic market here in Ireland with property, which has gone against the tide in the last little while, and especially in the last 12 months or so, where we've seen house prices falling in other parts of the world that we haven't seen falling here. So it's definitely that consideration when it comes to thinking about how it would all play out. I don't know, Andrew, is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: For years, I never really rated a pension so much with regard to stock investing, purely because my plan had always been to be well ahead of retirement before I reached pension age. And then after a while, I I stocked up a bit on the pension purely because I seen it as the tax advantage way of saving. And I kind of had realized that maybe there was enough outside of the pension. But if you do want to set yourself up a little bit to retire early, a pension is limited enough because you just can't get access to that money. So it's a bit crazy to be going all in on a pension, I think, which I see very much in the Irish fire sort of community. It's all in on pension and, and that's and that's the main thing. But, you know, you need to have a strategy of outside your pension as well. It doesn't have to be all, but it has to be a sum of money that will bridge the gap between the early retirement date and that 5 10 15 year period to get you to the retirement date when you can cash in your pension so you sort of have to look at your maths in maybe three sections you have the the, the period where you're working and your income's coming from there the period where you're you're, you're bridging your gap in between where you have fire money and then the, the last period which is the pension money now it's the pension money is the, the easiest to accrue in that you you sell it exactly it's 40% tax advantage before you before you even start so you've 40% up in reality but um and look i suppose i said one of the advantages of the stock market was that it was liquid but you know that liquidity can be a disadvantage when you you know it just occurred to me when you said it there that if you had a 800k in in a portfolio and then it dropped 50% when that it's 50% liquidity which just you know lost in a heartbeat so yeah the liquidity has its pros and cons but you know being liquid and I have found that there's a huge advantage to having it there liquid when you see an investment opportunity come along that you you want to get in on. So whereas it's imp- next impossible to get your money out properly quick, whereas stocks, you can get it out quick.
0: Yeah. Do you know what's it's, it's actually funny you mentioned that, Andrew, because I'm just thinking there that I guess one of the one of the hidden problems with stocks is because it's so illiquid, it does make us prone to panic selling. And we hear about stories like this all the time, right? Like where you know, somebody's being investing, maybe they started investing, started 2019, they've had this great 12 month run, then COVID hits and panic and they sell. And then you know the stock market goes back up. So they start buying in again. And then 2022 hits, Ukraine war starts, and oh my goodness, panic and we sell again. So they keep selling at the bottom all the time. So there's definitely an element of liquidity being a problem if you don't have the disposition for stocks. Now, for myself, I'm fairly good. To be honest, I only check the brokerage accounts once a month because I'm updating a portfolio for a blog. But if I wasn't, I probably wouldn't check it that often. However, in saying that, I've only got around 150,000 euros in stocks. So maybe if I had a little bit more or if my livelihood depended on it, I might check it more. So there's certainly a discipline that comes with investing in stocks. So there's definitely that consideration.
1: Yeah, you know, one one other consideration that... and. uh... It's maybe leading on to maybe the last point of maybe where the summary between the two, the two kind of types of investments come. But you know, with with offset from a tax perspective, so a bit of tax harvesting. So if you if you are in property and you and accrue a very large gain, you can just go to your to your stocks, figure out the ones that are in red, sell them, pass on the loss to the taxman. It's called bed and breakfasting. Wait thirty days and buy them back, and you have effectively passed off all the loss the tax man you bought them all back you know you didn't really lose anything of it because you were just going to pay the tax man anyway you know where there's a huge advantage to that is if you're a dividend growth investor because a lot of sort of investment trusts or stocks that are are very concentrated on instead of growing they're concentrated in paying out income so they all of their growth is in cash so in reality they might sit there you know at that sort of negative fit you know just little or no growth and then maybe something had happened they'd go down 10 percent you know it's you don't really care because you're getting all the income from them but if you have a large asset like a house or something you sell you can just clean all those out sell them all off right realize all the cash pass off all the the loss to the taxman buy them back 30 days later get all the same income you were getting and you've just passed the loss off to the taxman and you're you're quids in so they they, they go very i find stocks a property go so well hand in hand. Uh, they're they're if they're managed correctly, of course.
0: <laughs> it's brilliant, Andrew. It really is brilliant. You're so far ahead of the rest of us. Um, it's honestly, it's it's so great to have you on. Yeah, I'd say most people when they first saw the title of this one thought, "Ah, yeah, we're going to spend the next twenty, twenty five minutes or so waiting to be told the property's better." But you've actually managed to conclude something completely different. And you've managed to throw in some fairly advanced tech stuff in there as well. So I'm very, very impressed. So look, let's let's jump over then. So what's your final verdict on property versus stocks?
1: Yeah, so I suppose I've half alluded to it a little bit that they are actually fairly complementary to each other. And as an example, if you look at the, the German property market or you look at the UK. You know, the UK is down maybe 14-15% house prices over the last maybe 18 months, two year period. And so say we were living in the UK at the moment and we had property investments and we had stocks. We we could in reality at the moment uh, be cashing out our stocks because the, the global market is is well up. Sure, the SP is 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 hitting a record high again. So you you could cash out your stocks. And you could actually be buying property at the moment. So they're they're non-aligned assets now, with the exception of two thousand nine, which they happen to be very aligned, and everything was aligned then. But but as a rule, they're not overly aligned. You know, the market tends to go one direction from the the property market. So you know, if they're carefully managed, uh, you can get in. A, you can get out of one asset type and into another when it suits. So yeah, they, uh, my conclusion would be that. They're complementary to each other and they don't have to be separate asset types.
0: Well, look, there you go. Thank you, Andrew. That was absolutely brilliant. And I like the conclusion that it isn't that one is better than the other, or at least rather than looking at it as one versus the other, that combining them and using them and managing them well together is actually the best way to invest overall. Andrew, thank you so much for being on today. It's really appreciated. Yeah,
1: great, Mike. It was brilliant. It was good to talk about it. We've uh, we've had so many sort of informal conversations about it over the years. So it was uh, nice just to, to talk through from start to finish.
0: Ah, definitely delighted to have covered it. And Andrew, thank you again for being on. Guys, if you are interested in hearing more from Andrew, then you're welcome to come along and join the Limerick Fi. WhatsApp group. If you want to join, just drop me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie and I will send you a link to join the group. And as always, if you have any questions on this episode, drop me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.